As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to a brand new episode of Head in the Clouds. It's been a while. So nice to be back as we have completed our podcast studio here at WQAD-TV in the Quad Cities. And uh, well, for the most part, it's completed. But definitely wanted to give you uh, kind of a behind-the-scenes look on some of the stories we've been working on recently, especially when it comes to the record low levels of the Mississippi River. Well, south of the Quad Cities, we actually spent uh, a couple of days in the Memphis, Tennessee area, photojournalist Brad Mosier and myself here recently, and it was quite an amazing sight. And most recently, I got the chance to talk to Mike Steenhoik, uh, who's the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Wanted to hear what the impact is going to be to our farmers here in the Quad Cities as these low water levels are kind of snagging, if you will, barge traffic, uh, again, especially south of us. So here's my full interview with Mike. Uh, Definitely some really fascinating information, learned a lot, and I hope you enjoy the same as well. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast here. We've got more updates and episodes coming your way here in the coming weeks. Thanks for listening. And also make sure to check out our website at WQAD.com. Um, so I'm kind of curious uh, if in terms of like the increased cost for these these transportation areas that, that farmers are using, is this in any way historic what we're seeing that rise in cost because of this? Well, it, it's it's very significant. You know, sometimes you'll have some pretty dramatic increases in costs, but it, it's it's large. It can often be due to something like a hurricane that shuts down the Gulf of Mexico for a period of time. What what is really kind of unique about this situation is that the whole inland waterway system, particularly the Mississippi River, is is experiencing this you know, sustained period of low water. And it couldn't come at a less convenient time, given the fact that we're in the midst of harvest season. This is really game time for the U.S. soybean industry, where so much of our exports get launched onto the international marketplace. This is this is the period where that really happens. 80% of, of U.S. soybean exports do occur between the months of September and February. So this is, it's a really important time to have our supply chain operating at full throttle. Unfortunately, that's not happening with uh, the low water conditions. But yeah, rates have increased dramatically uh, for a barge getting loaded in a location like the Quad Cities. We were seeing a 278% increase in the cost of that of moving that freight versus the same period last year. So um, that's it's a really significant increase. And, and unfortunately, what often happens is those costs are passed on to farmers in the form of a lower price that they're offered. You know, a lot of times when you have a, a transportation cost escalation, the question is, does do those costs get passed on to the customer? Do they get pa- do, they, do they get absorbed by the actual shipper? Or in this case, does it get passed on to the farmer in the form of a lower price at that point of sale? And that's what often happens at a lot of these 
barge uh, loading terminals along the Mississippi River. Farmers are getting a lower price for what they produce. So I tend to think, especially when it comes to Mother Nature, most farmers are usually concerned about, okay, how is Mother Nature going to impact my crop yield this year? But it seems like not only are they worrying about that, but they're also having to worry about this now, right? Where they probably on a typical year, they wouldn't have to worry about both. Yeah, you know, it, we we know that with the, the inland waterway system, there is a degree of variability that doesn't exist with other modes of transportation. You know, sometimes we might have high water years, we might have low water years. So there is some understanding that if you're going to participate in barge transportation, there is going to be some degree of variability. Of course, you know, you might have hurricane activity in the Gulf of Mexico where so many of these barges are ultimately destined. So that that's well understood, but it is significant this year that we've had this sustained period of low water. It even extended into, you know, this past winter um, with uh, a scarcity of snowfall and a lot of these areas that feed into uh, the whole Mississippi River watershed. We had a, a scarcity of that. And then, of course, it continued throughout the course of, of the summer. And then when we did receive rain, uh, so much of that was just absorbed by the crops themselves. So very little of that made its way into the streams and then the rivers, which well, obviously was very helpful for our, our crops. But as far as being able to expedite that water into our streams and rivers and raise the, the water levels, it didn't happen. So now all of a sudden we're in this situation that we're in. And with these low water conditions, it really does impede our ability to move product efficiently. It, it diminishes the channel depth, which means you can't load as many bushels of soybeans or other freight per barge out of a concern that it might scrape the bottom. You might have a grounding, which we've seen examples of that. And then it also impacts channel width. So the, the, the navigation channel that barges use is more narrow. So therefore you can't get as many barges all connected together to move as one unit. Those two things, a diminishment of channel depth, diminishment of channel width really does restrict the economics and diminish the economics of barge transportation. So it seems like the barges is the, the preferred way to go with, with transporting a good chunk of the grain and things like that. Why is it? Is it because of the low cost? Is it because of like the infrastructure that's in place is a little bit more efficient than say rail or truck or kind of both or more? Yeah, other countries have inland waterways where you can move freight via the via rivers. But what's what's quite unique about the United States is we have these rivers that penetrate into the most productive farm ground on the planet. So things like the Mississippi River, the Illinois River, the Ohio River, the Arkansas River, they all penetrate into very productive farm ground. So then as a as a farmer, you are located in close proximity to this multi-lane maritime interstate that other areas around the world, they don't have that access to. So for a lot of farmers, it's it's a pretty short distance to simply drive what they grow, the soybeans or corn or other agricultural mm -hmm. products, to a barge loading facility. And then in turn, you can put well in excess of 50,000 bushels of soybeans in one single barge. You know, one, one semi-truck by comparison is 900 bushels. So the, the scale is so much bigger. And then on the upper Mississippi River, um, along the, the Iowa-Illinois border, 
uh, you can get 15 barges all attached together. So then when you multiply that, you're getting you know, well in excess of 800,000 bushels in one single 15 barge tow. And then it has this journey down to the New Orleans area where 60% of soybean exports depart from. So it's a, this very efficient way, very economical way of moving heavy product long distances in an economical manner. It really is one of the secrets to our success in the international market. Awesome. And I, I love the chart that's on your website too, by the way. I found that where it compares how many bushels you can store in the semi versus the, sure. the train car. That was really, really helpful for so for you guys were putting that up. Um, I, I know that here locally, we were not in as bad shape as say they are south of St. Louis because we're fortunate enough to have managed waterways with our lock and dam system. Mm -hmm. um, is, is that helping us here locally or does it not matter at all because of what's going on down south? Yeah, the, the the images are not as dramatic in the upper parts of the river because we have this inventory of dams and locks that are, you know, spaced every 40 to 50 miles apart that, you know, restrains water or slows water flow so that it, it builds up that navigation channel. So it, it's not as it's not as dire in the upper parts of the river. But, you know, one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that it is a logistical chain and you're only as strong as your weakest link. So it doesn't matter when you have a logistical chain that if, if all of your links are, say, made out of stainless steel, if one of your links is a twisty tie, because it's all going to go through that one particular juncture. And so if you're, whenever you load a barge full of soybeans or corn for that matter, the overwhelming destination for that is going to be an export terminal by the Gulf of Mexico near New Orleans. So you're going to still be impacted by these dramatically low water areas once you get south of St. Louis, Memphis, Tennessee, Vicksburg, Mississippi, some of these areas that are very challenged right now. So it really is having an impact on the entire the entire system. You know, Iowa, fortunately, uh, and places like Illinois, fortunately, there is some options B and C that farmers can take advantage of. Um, you know, with say local a local livestock industry or maybe access to a rail loading facility. There are some options B and C. It still is going to impose some additional costs and inconvenience, which is certainly unwelcome at this time of the year. Uh, other areas of the country, uh, your option is the inland waterways or the inland waterways. Mm -hmm. And so those those farmers are in a, a more dire situation. But it, it, this, this whole development, it, it really is at an inopportune time. There's a lot riding on the shoulders of the American farmer right now due to global food insecurity. Farmers have once again stepped to the, up to the plate and delivered like they always do. But what we do need is to have a transportation system that can efficiently move product from point A to point B. And it's not happening right now. And so we're kind of in this situation that I like to describe as attaching a garden hose to a fire hydrant. You know, we've got this significant amount of production that farmers have have harvested, but then we don't have our transportation system that can fully accommodate it, um, due in large part to the low water on the Mississippi River. So we're attaching a garden hose to a fire hydrant. There still is flow. We're still are there's there is still barge transportation occurring, but it's not as efficient as it normally is. Are you seeing in your in your transportation data that farmers are getting to the point where they're having to look at those alternate resources to get this stuff moving 
or are they just kind of sitting and waiting it out just just hoping for rain yeah there's there you know each farmer is treating this differently and, and and of course it depends on how many options b c and d there are for in that local vicinity some farmers are if they have storage available on their own farm and a lot of farmers do have that they're electing to simply store it hoping for more water uh, in the the river system so that they can you know resume those deliveries others are choosing to drive a longer distance to maybe uh, to a soybean processing facility or maybe an mm -hmm. ethanol facility on the corn side that may not be their preferred destination uh, because it's it's a longer drive um, but but then if the river is not operating as efficiently as it normally does, maybe that's a good option for them. So it really is going to depend. Um, a lot of it does does require, though, a longer driving distance than they normally would do in order to tap into some of these other options, B, C, and D. And of course, to kind of add insult to injury, diesel fuel prices are alarmingly high. Um, and so now all of a sudden the pursuit of these other options it comes with an additional cost um in the term in in the form of high diesel fuel that's really making this problem more more severe than it normally would be yikes what is the going forward what what is the worst case scenario that you can envision happening if, if we have no improvement what what would that mean for for that uh that whole chain if you will going forward yeah, you know, if if we continue to just have a lack of precipitation, and and obviously we're we'll be very uh, engaged in in monitoring how much snowfall that we have, um, you know, over the course of the winter, we definitely need this whole system to be recharged, not just for our farm ground, but also for the whole maritime highway. One of the concerns that we have is. We in the United States, we do market our soybeans throughout the course of the year, but there clearly is a more acute time where we do export. Again, that 80% of our exports occur between the months of September and February. Early in the calendar year, once we start hitting that January, February, March, that's when the South American harvest comes online. So what happens then is the U.S. soybean spigot gets essentially turned off. The South American spigot gets turned on. So if 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 we all of a sudden, if our river isn't returning to some degree of normalcy before that period of time, then all of a sudden, even if the river does improve early in the next calendar year, then all of a sudden we're competing against one of Brazil, which is our the other big soybean producing country in the world. So this really is our window of opportunity. And so we're obviously hoping for that to occur uh, with the river levels going up because it's it is going to ha have an impact on our on our export program. Wow, yeah, that is a huge impact for sure. I didn't even know about that. Um, just, just kind of pivoting away for a second to the other topic of and I, I've tried, been trying to keep up with this because it seems like it's constantly changing. But the impending railroad strike that could happen, I think they're still unsettled on this. Last I heard, there has not been an official agreement. Um, but what are the what are the thoughts on that? Pretty big impact as well if we have a railroad strike. Yeah, it, it couldn't come at a worse time. You know, there's never a good day to have a railroad slowdown or a strike. It would be particularly inopportune if it as it if it happened in the against the backdrop of our inland waterways not operating at full throttle and having other 
modes of transportation under stress, you know, like trucking for an for example. So a lot of people are looking, a lot of farmers and agricultural shippers are looking for lifelines right now because the river is not operating as it normally does. And rail is is the preferred lifeline. It's the preferred option B because rail is very well designed to transport heavy commodities long distances as well. And so now all of a sudden we have this big question mark that has been imposed on the the rail industry in the form of this potential strike um these collections of of railroad worker unions there's 12 of them total and they're collectively negotiating with the our largest railroads uh seven of the 12 have actually accepted the tentative agreement that was reached on september 15th we're now in the process since that since September 15th, when that tentative agreement was reached, the rank and file membership of the individual unions have to ratify uh, that agreement. Uh, so seven of the 12 have actually approved it, but unfortunately two of the 12 have actually voted against it. And one of the two has actually floated the possibility of a railroad strike as early as November 19th. So that really has provided further agitation within the agricultural industry, uh, within, within the broader economy, um, the Soy Transportation Coalition and a number of agricultural organizations and other, and other industries uh, around the country have expressed our strong desire um, to Congress and to the administration that we cannot have a railroad strike. Uh, we certainly encourage both parties, both the workers and the railroads to continue to negotiate. Uh, we would love to see both parties achieve an agreement that benefits both. It's not going to be perfect for both, but then provides benefit for both parties. But our big concern is we need our rail infrastructure operating. We need it to be improving actually right now, not taking a step back. Um, a railroad strike would would have very dire consequences on the economy. Big yikes. Big, big, big yikes. Oh, my goodness. Well, I think that's all I, uh, that I've got for you for now. I definitely appreciate it. Um, it definitely helps fill in some of the gaps that I've had sure. going in this story in terms of uh, the impact of farmers and things like that. But even trying to talk to some some local grain elevators, and they really don't want to talk to us too much. I don't know if it's because sure. of fear and volatility and you know they don't want to scare people off and, and what that but uh it's good to get some insight on, on what's yeah. going on with the with the transportation sector that's for sure sure no happy to help anytime i can i can do so don't hesitate to reach out absolutely yeah i'll share your contact information with our newsroom and uh yeah if we need anything further we'll definitely reach out to you i appreciate it no you bet all right take care all right, thanks mike take care you bet Thanks again for listening to this episode of Head in the Clouds. I hope you enjoyed our content that we had produced for it today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Also make sure and download the WQAD News 8 app on either your Android or Apple device. And of course, you can get your accurate forecast and all of the weather stories that we produce here on our website at WQAD.com.